This is a conspiracy channel. Tape 2. Welcome to the Hush Channel. Now, which Anunnaki figure is the angel Gabriel? The Sumerian myth entitled Enlil and Nenlil is about the Anunnaki entity Enlil and his serial seduction of the goddess Nenlil of whom we spoke of earlier. Nenlil is also called key in other Mesopotamian narratives. Enlil is who we now call Biblical Yahweh. Apparently, Enlil always had his way with Nenlil even if he had to resort to trickery. The same as he had done to get her to agree to the extinction of mankind by the weight of flood of which we now call Noah's flood. The story opens up with a description of the city Napur, which in modern times is located in the province of Al-Qadizia, Iraq. Its walls, rivers, canals, and well all portrayed as the home of the gods, not men, as the story takes place before Enki creates mankind. The story takes place by Nenlo being warned by her mother not to venture too close to the river in order to avoid Enlil romantically pursuing her. At first, Nenlil does not fall subject to Enlil's courting, but Enlil is persistent. Enlil asks his chief visor and scribe to take him across the river to Nenlil. Nusku is the brother of Enlil. The two share the same father, and Nusku is also called Jeru or Jabil. This is his chief visor. Nusku does this thing for Enlil and takes him across the river, and Nenlil and Enlil are able to meet and go downstream and end up lying on the riverbank together. Through this interaction, the moon deity Suen Asimbabar is conceived. Their child, Suen, and other Mesopotamian epics that derive from the regions outside of Sumeria is also called not only Suen but Sin, S-I-N, Shin, Asimbabar, and Nana. Yes, the child of Biblical Yahweh is Sin. Enlil is depicted as an ox or bold horned deity. Now as Enlil's son, Sin is the lord of wisdom and the deity of the moon and riches. He too is symbolized by the bull, but he is also symbolized by the crescent moon. A bull has horns, and if you turn those upright horns 90 degrees, the bull horns resemble a crescent moon. At the top of a lot of ancient pantheons, you will find a horned entity because of Enlil and Nenlil both being horned Anunnaki entities. Look at Thor and Zeus and the sacred cow of the Hindus and also the indigenous Kemites and even the biblical Israelites when they fled Kemet and they were worshipping that sacred cow in the desert. It was because they just left Kemet and their deity was Hathor, the sacred cow mother deity. Syncretism or the attempt of syncretism is the action, the process, or the result of combining different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. An example of this would be the Roman Catholic Church combining Hinduism, indigenous Asiatic and African indigenous animistic belief systems with Judaism and their own agendas to create essentially a one world religion that encompasses so many belief systems that it serves as easy to convert into due to worshippers of other faiths being able to find their own faiths inside of it. Most, if not all, modern religions were founded with a syncretic idealism. For example, Hinduism is the oldest surviving belief system. It's 4,000 plus years old. It was formed from combining the belief systems of the indigenous Indus River Valley peoples and the indigenous South Indians called Dravidians with the belief system of the Aryan nomads who migrated through Mesopotamia from the Caucasus Mountains and colonized them. Earlier, while discussing the story of Enlil and Nenlil, 
I briefly mentioned the chief visor and brother of Enlil named Nusku. In the latter part of Babylon, before its dramatic fall, Nusku's name became indistinguishable from the deity of light and fire, which is his brother named Jabil. After the destruction of Babylon, Nusku was then absorbed into the identity of a much larger entity, which was the moon deity Sin. This left Sin with yet another name in some territories, which was Jabil, which later became Gabriel. Gabriel's name in some languages means the strength of God, and he is described as the angel who is guarding over over Israel, defending its people against the angels of other nations. Now, dominion angels are angels that protect a specific nation or group of people. So the question can sometimes be, is the focus on Israel in the Bible simply an occurrence where Yahweh and angels like Gabriel were dominion angels? And through a sequence of events, this relationship between the Israelites and their dominion angels became mainstream to a group of people not under the protection of these dominion angels. Talmudic rabbis interpret the man in Lenin mentioned in the books of Daniel and Ezekiel as being Gabriel. And the one responsible for interpreting Daniel's visions lent its hand to Gabriel's main function in Daniel to be that of a revealer. In the book of Enoch, Gabriel specifically is assigned the task of destroying the offspring resulting from the fornication of angels and women, which he accomplishes by sowing discord among them until they go to battle with one another and wipe each other out. Gabriel is mentioned again in chapter 20 and 40 of Enoch, where he is named as one of the four, then seven, who keep watch. Specifically, Gabriel is placed over paradise serpents and the angelic ranks of the cherubim. Remember that Lucifer is said to be a cherubim angel and in my Black People Don't Have Souls video I thoroughly broke down Ham's lineage being the predominant offending lineage after the flood to keep interbreeding with the fallen angels. That's why they were always referred to as pagans and giants and even demons. Giants of which are created from interbreeding with the fallen and I even go over the characteristics of the black race that are markers of fallen angelic ancestry. Following non-canonical books and even biblical books, we see that Shem's lineage and Cam's lineage constantly interact and they constantly interbreed. This brings problem. So Rebecca tells Jacob not to interbreed with Ham's lineage, not because of their color, their skin color, but because of their pagan ways. And also because it was widely known back then that Ham's lineage interbred exponentially with the fallen. And that is why at the beginning of time after the flood, Ham's lineage ruled over Shem and Yaphim's via Nimrod, who was son of Cush, son of Ham. Outside of non-canonical books and texts, there's also evidence in the Bible that Cam's lineage was excessively interbreeding with the fallen angels even after the flood. If you look at the names of the giants' ethnic groups, they are Hamitic names. Like, they come from the lands of the children of Ham. Remember, Gabriel is assigned the task of destroying the offspring resulting from the fornication of angels and women. This does not stop just because the flood occurred. So... Gabriel shows his distaste for Cam's lineage when Solomon married a comedic woman, a woman from Kemet, which is now called Egypt. Gabriel became so mad that he planted a reed in the sea that accumulated a sandbar that eventually grew into Rome, which is Jerusalem's ultimate destroyer and the world's ultimate colonizer. There was even terms that said the sun does not set on Rome. That's how large the Roman Empire grew. In the Jewish Kabbalah, the tree of life is also called the tree of souls, which blossoms and produces new souls that fall into a treasury of souls. This is reflected in texts like the Apocalypse of Paul, which teaches that there are actually two gardens of Eden, a terrestrial one of which Adam and Eve were exiled from and an extraterrestrial celestial one that will serve as an eternal paradise for the righteous in the end times following the resurrection 
and the Messianic Age. According to the Tree of Souls, the extraterrestrial celestial Eden has a flowering tree of souls of which every soul that has ever existed and that will ever exist ripens like a fruit upon. Beneath this tree is the Guardian of Paradise. The Book of Enoch tells us this Guardian of Paradise is Gabriel. When new souls ripen on this tree, they fall into a space called the Gold or Treasury of Souls. And there they remain until they are ready to be born, at which point it is Gabriel who reaches into this treasury, takes the soul out, and delivers the soul to the angel of conception named Layla, who then watches over the new soul until it is ready to be born. It is said that when the last soul drops from the tree of souls, no more souls will be born, and the end of the world will begin. To attest to Gabriel's involvement with baby souls, we look to Luke. In Luke chapter 1, an angel appears to the priest Zechariah and tells him that he and his wife Elizabeth will soon be having a baby despite their advanced age. When the priest expresses some mild skepticism at this concept, the glowing man explains that he is the angel Gabriel and God has sent him to bring this good news. The bad news is he also turns off Zechariah's ability to speak until the baby is born as punishment for his disbelief. When the baby is born nine months later, Zechariah regains his ability to speak only after writing down the baby's name. The baby's name was John who would go on to be known as John the Baptist, cousin and precursor to Jesus himself. Gabriel gets to make another happy announcement in the same chapter when he appears to Mary and drops a couple of iconic lines like, Do not be afraid, and Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. He tells Mary that despite her virginity, she will give birth to the Son of God and call his name Jesus and all that good stuff. This is called the Annunciation and it is commemorated annually on March 25th, exactly nine months before Christmas. When Moses is just a few years of age, we are told in the Exodus Rabbah Shema 26 that Pharaoh was concerned that this baby Moses would grow up and rise to power and owls come from his throne. So Pharaoh places before baby Moses a piece of gold and a smoldering coal. Moses reaches for the gold. However, Gabriel pushes Moses' hand over to the hot coal, which badly burns baby Moses' hand, causing baby Moses to flail his hand, resulting in the coal to fly up to his mouth, transferring the wound from his fingers to his tongue. Thus, from the very beginning, Moses chooses his hand over his mouth, sacrificing his mouth to save his hand. Likewise, Moses becomes a man of the hand. He grows up, his mouth scarred, and slow of speech and slow of tongue, meaning that this hot coal incident resulted in Moses having a stutter, which leaves Pharaoh to believe that Moses would not be a threat to him, because it was often believed back then that a stuttering man is a fool. Therefore, Pharaoh figured nobody would follow a man with such a speech impediment. In Christianity, it is presumed that Gabriel will blow a trumpet to indicate the Lord's return to earth. In Islam, Gabriel is the angel who dictated the entirety of the Quran to the prophet Muhammad. And Gabriel is associated with Al-Abiyad, who is one of the seven Jinn kings, who is associated with the day of the moon, also known as Moon Day or Monday. And because of this, it is here what Gabriel is called the white one. The jinn that attacks the entire body instead of specific parts of the body like the other six jinn kings do. Gabriel is known as the white one in Islam and revealer in the book of Daniel because just like the moon shines through the darkness illuminating the night as it is the light in the dark, so is the angel Gabriel. As mentioned earlier, the angel Gabriel is the Mesopotamian Anunnaki deity Sin, the son of Enlil. And Enlil is biblical Yahweh. So in biblical terms, Sin, or Gabriel, is the son of God. From the Mesopotamian point of view, however, 
Sin is the son of Satan. In terms of the Hebrew writing system, Sin and Shin are the same letter. It is the 21st out of the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and its Phoenician glyph is the predecessor to the English letter W. The same Phoenician letter of Shin birthed the Greek Sigma symbol. From Shin's name comes the term Shaddai, and Shaddai is one of the 72 names of God spoken of in the Judaic Kabbalah. Accordingly, El Shaddai is conventionally translated to meaning God Almighty. However, upon further investigation, you can see sin is actually not biblical Yahweh, according to the Mesopotamians. And this is before everything got lost and manipulated and scrambled around. But when speaking of sons and daughter and Anaki entities, the Bible usually smashes them into one mononymous being. In the days of Moses, priests would form sin's name with a hand gesture to give what is called the priestly benediction, which is also called Aaron's blessing, as Aaron is the brother of Moses and the descendants of Aaron were to perform this ritual. The English letter W mimics this hand gesture. Thanks Star Trek, we come in peace symbol. This is what it looks like. And then the hands connect forming a triangle in the middle. Just like the Illuminati triangle hand gesture. It was said the divine presence would shine through the fingers of the priests of Aaron's lineage as they blessed the people. And nobody was allowed to look at the hands of the priests as they performed these blessings out of respect for God. Numbers chapter 6 verses 23 to 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the Israelites, you shall say to them the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you, and be gracious to you, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. This symbol of sin was used as a blessing to ward off evil, protection magic. However, terms like witchcraft, sorcery, and the likes may be taboo to many Abrahamic faiths. That does not mean that it is not ingrained within these religions itself under another notion. Here you see it is used and it is called a blessing. While worshipping the sun by the ancients is well known, the worship of the moon was actually more prominent than sun worship in ancient times. There are still discoveries of temples and many artifacts all throughout the Mesopotamian regions of Sumer, Akkad, Assyria, Babylon, and Aram, and heavy traces of its worship were also present in southern Arabia. As a matter of fact, the symbol of the crescent moon can be found on sealed impressions, monuments all throughout the old world. Even bread was baked in the form of a crescent moon during those times as an act of devotion to the moon god Sin. Today we call them croissants. In the very few territories where Enlil was not the head of pagan pantheons, it was Enlil's very own son, Sin, who preceded him as the head deity. In the Old Testament times between 555 and 539 BC, the last king of Babylon named Nabonidus, he built the temple of Tema in Arabia as a center of worship to the moon god Sin. South Arabia's religion has always been dominated by the moon god in various variations. This is why Sin is a part of such Arabic words and places such as Sinai, which means the wilderness of Sin. Canaan, the son of Cam, was actually named after the moon deity Sin. And Canaan sons were the first inhabitants to many parts of what is now called the Arabian Peninsula. No, these were not their rightful allotted lands. However, we all know that Canaan did not listen and his children were the little babies that did not listen as well. And in previous videos, I have went in depth about how this particular son 
Sin is responsible for being the progenitor of the Sino peoples, which is another name for Chinese people. And he was also sometimes called Shen, which is where the Sin, S-I-N, Shen, S-H-I-N, and Chen, X-I-N prefixes in China come from, and where the name for the entire continent of Asia comes from, as to be of the tribe of Sin, meant to be a Shenite or a Shen, which is why the people of Asia to this day are called Asians. When the popularity of the moon god began waning elsewhere, the Arabs remained true to their conviction that the moon god was the greatest of all gods. While they worshipped 360 gods at the Kaaba and Mecca, the moon god was the chief deity. Mecca was in fact initially built as a shrine for this moon god. This is what made it the most sacred site of Arabian paganism. Even to this day, Muslims orbit the black stone of Mecca in the same way the moon orbits the earth. In 1944, G. Kitan Thompson revealed in her book, The Tombs and Moon Temple of Bereda, that she had uncovered a temple of the moon god in southern Arabia. The symbols of the crescent moon and no less than 21 inscriptions with the name Sin were found in this temple, an idol which may be that moon god himself was also discovered there. This was later confirmed by other well-known archaeologists. The evidence reveals that the temple of the moon god was active even in the Christian era. Evidence gathered from both North and Southern Arabia demonstrate that moon god worship was clearly active even in the Prophet Muhammad's day and was still the dominant cult. According to numerous inscriptions, while the name of the moon god was Sin, his title was Alila, which means the deity, meaning that he was the chief or high god among the gods, the god of gods. The god La, or LL, was originally a phase of the moon god. In the land of Kemet, just across the sea from the Arabian Peninsula, was the deity Ea, who was also called Ya, Ja, and Ah, and his name means moon. The committed deity Ea was also assimilated with Osiris, the god of the dead, perhaps because in its monthly cycle, the moon appears to renew itself. The comedic name for Enki, the brother of Enlil, who mankind now calls Enki Satan, his name in Kemet was Osiris and Horus, the predecessor deities of Jesus Christ. In Mesopotamia, Enki was also called Ea, Yahweh, and Yah, and the indigenous of Kemet centered their culture around Enki. Thus, all the symbolism of the all-knowing eye, the triangle, phallic structures, and all the serpent symbolism found in Egypt to this very day in historical sites. These were all symbols of Enki, which are now a part of occultism. The moon god being called Alila, i.e., the god, was shortened to Allah in pre-Islamic times. The pagan Arabs even used Allah in the names they gave to their children. For example, both the Prophet Muhammad's father and uncle had Allah as a part of their names. During Muhammad's authority, the terms law and Allah, which means mononymously God or the supreme being, it is a term that resembles the Hebrew term Eloah, which also mononymously means God. This transliteration allowed a form of syncreticism, meaning Christians and Jews alike would feel welcomed to praise Allah as well because the term now simply meant God, not a specific God, and to their knowledge and following generations, the term certainly did not relate to any moon God. The reason Allah is never defined in the Quran and the reason the Prophet Muhammad assumed the pagan Arabs he challenged and warred with already knew who Allah was, was because Allah was simply a remodification of Alila, the pre-Islamic moon deity that topped the Arab pagan pantheon, who they also called Sin and Nana. The Prophet Muhammad was actually raised in this religion of the moon god Alila, but he went one step further than his fellow Arabs. While they believed that the moon god was the greatest of all gods and the supreme deity and a pantheon of deities, Muhammad decided that Alila was not only the greatest god, but the only god. And that the other 359 gods that they had previously worshipped would fall into the category of other entities such as the jinn, 
men and so forth. This was an intentional switch from the pagan polytheistic structure to a seemingly monotheistic structure similar to that of the surrounding Jews and Christians. To the Jews and the Christians, he said that Allah was their God too. The question would however arise as to if they were all the same, why try to convert them to Islam? Right off bat, the Jews and Christians initially denounced Islam as an Abrahamic faith. Quran 41 and 37 Do not prostrate to the sun or to the moon, but prostrate to Allah, who created them. Polytheism, idolatry, and ascribing partners beside God is called shirk and considered an unforgivable sin in the Quran. Muhammad actually commits this unforgivable sin and then conveniently claims that Satan tricked him and he then conveniently claims to receive a revelation absolving him of the false revelation and says that all prophets have said wrong things because of Satan. But let's look at the facts. Any source would tell you that the prophet Muhammad experienced the presence of Gabriel who revealed to him the beginnings of what later became known as the Quran. The Islamic calendar is a lunar calendar. The symbol of Islam is a crescent moon. A crescent moon not only is marked on the flags of all Islamic nations but the crescent moon sits atop of Islam's mosques and minarets. Muslims also fast during the month that begins and ends with the appearance of the crescent moon in the sky. As Gabriel is called the white one and believed to be the man in linen in the book of Daniel, this contributes to the all-white linen that is traditional to wear during Hajj, which is the pilgrimage all Muslims must make to Kaaba, Mecca at least once in their life. The Hajj takes place only once a year in the 12th and final month of the Islamic lunar calendar. Over the five days of the Hajj, Muslims perform a series of rituals meant to symbolize their unity with other believers and to pay tribute to Allah and circulate the black stone of Mecca in their all-white robes. Stay tuned for tape 3 where we talk about the children of the angel Gabriel. And no, we are not talking about metaphoric children. His kids are very popular. End of tape 1.